security blanket. A blanket or other familiar item carried, especially by a young child, to provide reassurance and feeling of psychological security. So, the question is, does a security blanket actually provide security? Or just the feeling of security? And what are the chances that we might be confidently clinging to things that are just actually security blankets? I have been a pastor going on this May uh, for 19 years, and in that time, I have encountered a lot of people, no matter where I've been in ministry at, who are asking the same question, really, no matter where I've lived, which lets me know that people are pretty much always the same, really, regardless of whether you're in the Midwest or the South or what have you. And here's the question that they're they're uh, they're, they're wanting answered, and they're crying out for, they're crying out for help everywhere that I've ever been, and they're always crying out for help in four areas that I've identified as just consistent patterns that I've seen regardless of where I've lived, and here's what those things are. I'm asking for help with my marriage. Pastor, help me with my marriage. Uh, Pastor, I need help with uh, my finances, my marriage, my finances, um, relationships. I, I need some help with my relationships. I'm struggling. And also with my children, with parenting. I, I need help in these areas. So these are the things that I've consistently seen over the years that people are just saying, I need help with. And these are all areas of genuine concern when they are unhealthy. And every pastor should realize that they need to help people with these things. And it seems like in our world today that there are more resources that are available to us than ever before in the history of humankind that we have at our fingertips to help us with marriage, finances, our relationships, and with parenting. And it seems that even though we have more resources accessible to us than ever before, it seems that these things aren't necessarily getting better. As a matter of fact, in some areas, it seems that they are getting worse as we look at statistics and we see even in and among the church that these things are not being enhanced. So it's not a lack of resources that's the answer. It's not the fact that we need another program or we need another book. We need someone to write a new bestseller to help us to fix all of our problems and make them all go away or to help us know how to navigate this or decide this or deal with this. And as I evaluate this, looking back over the history of the ministry that God has allowed me to be in, I understand that resources are not the problem. A lack of those aren't the problem because I think that if we really boil it down to what the real problem is, perhaps we're asking for help for the wrong things. So let's go to the Lord and pray. Lord, help us understand your word today. Help us understand your truth. We humbly come before you and we ask that if there are people who in this place or who are watching online or who are out in the commons, Lord, if there are any people out there today that need to encounter the saving grace of Christ. Pray that today would be that day where their eyes would be open, where their hearts would be softened, where their understanding would be enlightened by your Holy Spirit and your word. 
Lord, I pray that you would help all of us, even those who are secure in their faith in Christ because of what Jesus has done on the cross. I pray you would even help us to be challenged to evaluate ourselves today, to look to our source of hope in Christ alone, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. There's something we need to understand about fruit. Fruit is connected to the root. So the health of the fruit is dependent and contingent upon how healthy that the root is. And I think that we understand this from, you know, nature. We can see that we've got to deal with the roots. We've got to deal with what's really going on. But that's not how we approach these issues often in our life. In Matthew 12 and 33, Jesus said this as he was talking to a group of Pharisees. He said, either make the tree good and the fruit good, or make the tree bad and the fruit bad because a tree is known by its fruit. And then again, we are likened to trees in Psalm chapter 1. The psalmist writes in Psalm 1 that if we meditate on the laws of God, that we will be like a tree that is planted by a river of water whose fruit is going to come in its season and whose leaves are not going to wither. And so the, the root system connected to that life-giving water as the source is the thing that makes that fruit healthy. And I think that we get that. It comes from the root, but we don't live like that often, and we don't treat Christ that way often. Because when we look at the fruit, we go, I need help with this fruit. I want this fruit to be better. This is so important to me. I want the fruit to be fixed. And the reason that we're so focused on this fruit is because a lot of us have all of our attention set on now. We think about now. It's what we're concerned about. It's what we're consumed with. We want everything better now. And we think that Jesus is going to help us get there. Or maybe the church or some book or the pastor or maybe some friends will help the fruit to get better. We'll even try to turn to the Bible to find that magical verse to fix the fruit, but we're attacking the fruit from the outside and we're trying to fix the fruit from the outside and we're trying to fix it by spraying some Jesus Christ on the fruit because we'll have bad fruit. We'll just spray a little JC on it, that's all. Just need some JC on this fruit. It's going to make it better. Oh, yeah, that's some ugly fruit. Nobody wants to eat that, but let's make it better. I don't like this ugly fruit. Spray some JC. Anybody need a little JC today? <laughs> and this is how we treat Jesus. We treat Jesus like he's just here to make our rotten fruit healthy. And then when we try Jesus and it doesn't work out the way we thought it would work out, we get mad, and we get swollen up, and we get upset because I thought Jesus was going to, you know, make this healthy again. I thought all I need to do is just spray a little Jesus on it, and everything's going to get better. Or we take it to another level. I know nobody does this in here, though, so I'm not talking to us, right? Oh, we'll just take a little paint. If Jesus won't fix it, I'll try to fix it. And man, am I doing a good job of making this fruit look better or what? Because you see, now I'm trying to make it better on my own by, you know, even though the inside is still rotten, at least the outside looks better, right? I mean, you can't see them brown spots anymore. You can't see the, the, all of the rot anymore. It looks better if I just paint something on it, but it's fake. If you bite into it, it's still rotten to the core. 
but we try to fix it in our own strength or we just try to spray some Jesus on it and we think that that's going to fix everything and make it better because that's how we look at Christ. We look at Christ as he's here just to help me now because we think this is our biggest need. We have identified this is our biggest need. And I'll tell you, folks, we have made these things our God. We have made a good marriage, good finances, good relationship, and good parenting our God. And we think Jesus will help us get to that place of perfection. And so we ask him to help us, and we just sprinkle a little Jesus on it. But then when these things seem to have a measure of success in our lives, we get very casual with Christ. We begin to coast in our relationship with Christ, and we treat him like we don't need him anymore because all of the things that are important to me are going seemingly well. But the moment that I cry out for help with them, I go back to Jesus. Are you hearing me this morning? This is how we've treated Christ in the American church because we're so concerned with the now going right that we just want Jesus to help us with the now. And we just want to spray a little Jesus on it and it'll make it better. And then when we're done, we just put him away until we cry out for help again. And we're missing the mark because the fruit and the health of the fruit comes from the root. We think the ultimate goal is for us to just be doing well in these areas and we want to know how Jesus helps us with it. And we're so fixated on the fruit that we're not even thinking about the root. We almost treat Jesus as, a, as, as kind of something we've already done. And this is the danger of modern evangelical Christianity in America today, is that we treat Christ as an afterthought. It's almost like, yeah, pastor, I've got Christ, but now help me with this. Or how does Jesus help me with this? I've already got Christ, and we're missing the point. Turn in your Bible with me over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, over here we're going to see how Paul, the apostle, was writing to a young minister named Timothy, and he's talking to Timothy about false teachers, and he's warning Timothy because there were so many false teachers coming out that had some jacked up agendas, and he was trying to expose those agendas so that when the church began to hear certain things or see certain things, that they would be able to identify these false teachers. And he says in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that there's a group of people that, that they're actually going to look right, and they're going to have this form of godliness, but there's going to be all this other stuff going on behind the scenes. And so here's what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's, uh, let's look at verse 1. Understand this. In the last days, there are going to come times of great difficulty. For people are going to be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable. You just can't make them happy slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And they will have an appearance of godliness, but they will deny its power, avoid such people. From among those are people who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. And these people are, are preying on them and they're always learning, verse 7, always learning, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. What a sad verse. 
that they're always learning. They're accumulating for themselves. They're amassing for themselves lots of information. And they know a lot of information, but they have not come to the knowledge of the truth. They've heard it. They agree. They'll nod their heads. They're, they're, they're surrounding themselves with it. But there's no power there because they have a form of godliness, but there's this other issue that hasn't been addressed. Understand this, church, that a form of godliness denies the power of God because it denies Christ. That's why there is a form of godliness with no power. A form of godliness wants to use Christ when it is convenient as a fix-it spray. And that doesn't work. And we get confused and we try harder and harder to get the spray to work because we want so hard for these unhealthy things to get healthy again. Using Christ to fix the exterior is using and denying Christ's power because he did not come to fix you from the outside in. He came to save your soul from eternal damnation. That's why Christ came. That's why the Christ we sing about is so good. Not because he makes these things better, but because he changes me from the root. Because he changes everything. And anything or anyone that attempts to sell you the idea that Christ is a means to another end is anti-Christ. Anything or anyone who exalts Christ above... Uh, who, anything or anyone... What exalts Christ, what Christ can give you above you getting Christ, they're denying the power. Because then Christ becomes another form of Santa Claus. And here's the thing it has a form of godliness, and it sounds good because we are focused on now. And we want now to be better because now might be really tough for you. Now might be really challenging for you. And I understand. I've had my tough now situations. I've been in difficult now situations. And now may be a struggle for you. And you're saying, help, how does Jesus help me with these things and make all these things better? And I'm so focused on this, but we're crying out for help for the wrong thing. We are denying the power of God to address our real need if all we ever focus on is now and making our temporary existence better. The real cry for help should not be I need a better marriage, or I need a better spouse, or I need to be wealthier. The real cry for help should be, I need a Savior because my heart is loving the wrong things. Because at my root, I'm actually loving sin. That's what I'm actually loving. And that's how I can have a form of godliness and have no power. And I just want Christ to fix me from the outside in. And Christ is like, I have not come to just deal with these exterior things to get to your heart. I've come to deal with your heart. That's what I'm actually after. It's not just so you can have your best life now. If you're having your best life now, I'm sorry, but you must be going to hell. Because my best life is not here. It is going to be in eternity with Christ forever. That's going to be my best life. The, the struggles and the, and, and, the, and the trials and the challenges that I go through now, they are just temporary. They are light and they are momentary because there is an, an eternal weight of glory that I'm going to experience when I meet my Savior face to face. And my best life is not now. 
John 15 and 4 says, Abide in me and I in you. This is Jesus speaking. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. In other words, Christ alone is enough. We need to stop putting contingencies on our contentment. In other words, we need to stop saying, well, Jesus, I'll serve you when, and I'll give you my heart when you give me this, when you make this better, then I'll really commit to you and I'll really serve you. Once I have the the wealth I want, once I have the relationships I want, once my marriage goes the way I want it, once my kids turn out the way I want and you protect them and keep them safe, when you do all these things, then I'll give you my heart. And Jesus is like, that's not how it works. We have to take off our contingencies on serving God. We need to serve Him because He's worthy whether we get our way or not. Because it's not about me somehow thinking I can put Christ in my debt. It's not me trying to get God to owe me something. If that's the thing I'm trying to do, is just trying to get God in my debt or get Him to owe me something, somehow I can manipulate God by doing enough good that I cash it in when it matures and I say, okay, now I want that thing that you're supposed to do for me. Okay, I've been really good. I've been at church. I've given my offering. I've served a lot. I've read my Bible a lot. Now I need some help with this. How about a little bit of this, Jesus? And that's how we treat him. When really, like Paul told Timothy, lovers of self, unappeasable. We want to justify our sin because we like it instead of being offended by our sin because it grieves the heart of God. Doesn't mean God doesn't love you. He's still extending his hand to you but he wants you to detest the things he detests and love the things that he loves. And a heart full of sin only loves now. And a heart that loves sin only wants their life to be better. And they'll try anything that they can get their hands on to improve and enhance now. And some people turn to the form of godliness that they call Christianity, but it has no power. It hasn't changed anything in them. Nothing is different. Maybe they just have some different schedule appointments. They go to church instead of staying home and watching football. I mean, unless the team you want to watch is playing, then, you know, I mean, then even that's up for grabs. And we think that, you know, he understands. He wants me to have all these things better, right? I mean, this is how it's supposed to be, right? I want things to be better. It's not the problem that we need help with here. The real problem that we need help with is here. We're loving the wrong things because instead of loving sin, I actually need to love Christ and I need to hate sin. I need to love Christ and begin to love what God loves and begin to hate what God hates. Even the things in me that I wrestle with, that I'm like, man, I'm struggling with this sin, but I'm not okay with it. I'm not justifying it. But I confess it to him and I say, Lord, I need your help with that. And you are my hope for salvation there. And not holding on to some false security blanket that just makes me feel like, well, I'm okay because, you know, I showed up at church today and you're okay because you showed up at church today. And as long as you don't judge me, I won't judge you and you're okay and I'm okay and we're all okay. (laughs) 
And, and, and let's, not, let's not offend anyone. Let's not talk about anything difficult because we, we want to make sure you feel okay and you feel okay. Is your chair comfortable, sir? Is your chair comfortable, madam? And we get so wrapped up in that mess of making each other comfortable that we're denying the power. And the power is that Christ transforms us. He doesn't just make our life better. He doesn't just deal with this exterior stuff. No, he deals with the root. He changes us from the inside out and he shifts our focus from now to eternity. Now all of a sudden my priorities begin to change because I'm focused on eternity because Christ has my heart. And now I'm looking at the now through a different lens. Am I still concerned with now? Yeah, absolutely. Christ is concerned with now because he knows that now affects eternity. The decisions you make now are impacting and affecting eternity, whether you choose to act or you choose to not act, whether you choose to follow his commands and live for him or whether you choose to deny him or whether you want this casual relationship where you think he's just here to fix this and you're just using Christ and calling yourself Christian in the process. How dare you use Christ just as a Santa Claus to try to fix your now instead of giving him your heart while you're loving your sin. You say, I, I need help with, with the fact that I'm loving sin and you are the only one who can save me. Go over to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 talks about a different kind of fruit, a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 and verse 22 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. If we say we're walking in the Spirit, we need to have a different kind of fruit. What kind of fruit do we need to have? He said we need to have love. He said we need to have joy. He said we need to have peace. We need to have gentleness. These are the fruits of the Spirit of God living on the inside of you. And here's the thing. These fruits come from knowing Christ. They help to complete the picture. They help us to focus on what really matters, and that is eternal things, not the temporary things of this world, but on the eternal things, because the goodness that comes from the branches of the tree is because I've been abiding in the vine, because Christ is that vine and that source, that water that the psalmist talked about in Psalm chapter 1. And if he's in me and I'm in him, then I'm going to produce these fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is evidence that I'm in Christ. <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit is evidence. It's, it's evidence that I'm connected to the source from the root. It's evidence that I'm connected. And when I began to focus on eternal things, I began to look at these things differently. I began to look at my marriage, my finances, my relationships, and my parenting. I began to look at those things that I've been asking for help with so much. I began to look at them differently. 
Because the fruit of the Spirit is not a healthy marriage. The fruit of the Spirit is not great financial management. The fruit of the Spirit is not great kids and healthy relationships. But the fruit of the Spirit does help you navigate challenges you will face with those things in your life. Are you seeing this? Are you seeing how the fruit of the Spirit will actually affect those other things that we're crying out for help with? How the fruit of the Spirit, if, if you are married to an unbeliever, if you're married to someone who just does not like the fact that you are a follower of Christ, maybe you, you, you uh, made a commitment to this person, maybe before you knew where their faith was, or maybe you yourself weren't a follower of Christ before you met this person, and you're like, what do I do in this situation? If you are in Christ and you are bearing the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will minister to your marriage. Are you, are you hearing me today? It's not Jesus help me this way, it's Jesus help me here. Because otherwise I can get really prideful and I can get really self-righteous and I can really get fixed on myself because I'm, I'm naturally selfish, but Christ helps me with my sin problem. And when I can begin to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, it begins to affect my marriage. I, I begin to look at my marriage through the lens of eternity. And it doesn't become about what the other person can do for me, but it becomes about how can I serve them with love and joy and peace and gentleness and kindness, just like Christ showed me. Are, are you seeing this? Are, are you getting this? I literally drew you a picture. <laughs> Finances. I need help with money. Oh, I need help. Yeah, yeah, you, you do. But really, the reason that you need help with money is because we need help with sin problem because we can become lovers of money and lovers of things. And when we begin to look through the lens of eternity, all of a sudden, I begin, begin to manage my resources, and he begins to temper the things that I desire according to eternity. And now I'm not fixated on the big house. Now I'm not fixated on having to just be extremely wealthy. I'm more fixated on how do I use the resources he has given me and blessed me with to impact eternity because my, my trajectory has changed. I began to look at my relationships the same way when someone offends me, when someone hurts me, when someone does something that they shouldn't have done to me. Instead of me holding on to that, I give them that same joy and I give them that same gentle answer that Christ gave me when I was in the midst of all of my sin and he saved me because I'm looking through the lens of eternity and I know that I war not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and rulers over high places and it's not a flesh and blood thing but I love them with the love of Christ. I raise my kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord because I'm focused on eternity. I, I had to come to a decision with uh, the way we were raising our kids with what are we really after here? I had a conversation with a family last week after the first service, and we talked about how our kids have grown up in a Christian environment, how we have done our best to saturate them in things that are Christian. And let me tell you something, just because you showed your kids VeggieTales when they were little doesn't mean they're going to be a Christ follower when they become an adult. What? I just blew somebody's mind. <laughs> just because, you, well, well, my parents play nothing but Christian music in the car. Good, that doesn't make your kid a guaranteed follower of Christ. I took them to Sunday school every time the doors were open. I took them to all the classes. I took them to all the youth groups. I took them to church every time the doors were open. We served. We did all these things. We, we even took them to Christian experiences for vacation. Wonderful. Good for you. That doesn't make your kid a Christian. And if your kid thinks that makes them a Christian, they're putting their hope in a security blanket that cannot save them. So I have to make sure my kids understand the gospel 
it's great to expose them to Christian environments and Christian things. As long as they understand these things don't make you Christian. These things don't make you a Christ follower. The only thing that makes you a Christ follower is putting your faith and hope in Christ alone because you see your sinful state and you see that you are a wretch that is in need of a Savior and you trust in Christ alone to save you. That's the only thing that can make you right with God. And then out of that relationship, all these good things come about. All of these fruits of the Spirit. And it's good to be surrounded in in, in those environments. But let us not fool our children into having a security blanket or a false security in their salvation simply because you have raised them in a morally upright, Christ-centered home. Because your following Christ doesn't guarantee their salvation no more than me being a pastor guarantees my children their salvation. What? That's right. My kids have to come to the knowledge of Christ and make that decision on their own, and I'm going to do everything I can. It's more important to me that my kids follow Christ and focus on eternal things more than it is that my kids have a big, nice home, a great education, that, they're, that, that, that they get all the trophies and all the sports. It's more important to me than even if they marry the right person, than if they make a bunch of money, that if they have a lot of friends and if they're really popular and accepted, it's more important to me that they know Christ than any of those things. It's more important to me that they know Christ than they win all the dance competitions. Are you hearing me? I'm getting in your cookie jar today. It's more important to me that they know Christ than anything else. Am I pointing them to the value of Christ by the way I live, by the things I teach them, by the things I show them, so that when they are faced with their sinfulness, that they don't try to just put their security in the things that they can try to paint, in the things they can try to clean up on their own, or the things they can just ask Jesus to help them with? Or are they asking for help because they see they're sinful and they need a Savior? And listen, (laughs) it's easier and quite frankly more fun to just preach about these things (laughs) and how to make them better in your life. And I can tell you for three easy payments of $19.95. <laughs> but understand something. Understand something. I want to point us to eternity. And I want everything that Word of Grace is about to be centered in Christ. Everything that we do. The music that we select for our worship. The events and activities we involve ourselves in the things that we do as a church family, the messages that we preach, are we pointing people to the cross? Because if we are people who truly know and have experienced the grace of God, then the more we hear the message of the gospel, the more precious it should become to us. The more we should be excited about this message because maybe, just maybe, there's someone listening or watching online or someone sitting out in the commons with their children that maybe they put their security in something false, and today is the day that their eternity is changed because Christ was preached. Because there is power to transform eternity in Christ and in Christ alone.
Christ alone shifts my heart from the things that Paul warned Timothy about to the things that matter in eternity. And my focus becomes, how can I show my spouse the love of Christ right now, not how can I get them to change? My focus becomes, how can I steward my finances better so I can live like eternity matters? My focus becomes, how can I uh, better make sure that, that I'm not building my kingdom, but I'm seeking first the kingdom of God? Because Christ alone shifts my focus to how can I invest and model the gospel before my children make sure that they understand their need for Christ? My focus becomes unity over being proven right. My focus becomes peace instead of conflict. My focus becomes love instead of pride. Serving and generosity in place of personal pleasure and concern for self. So do we need help? Yes. Yes, we do. And we need the help that only Christ can give. Help that only the message of the gospel can bring. That we need to be saved from our sinfulness saved from our depravity, saved from our hopeless, self-driven, self-focused lives, saved from our love for sin. Is there anything wrong with pursuing how to grow in your marriage, parenting, your finances, or your relationships? No, of course not. There's nothing wrong with acquiring tools and resources and using those to learn and to grow in those areas. But are you pursuing growing in those things as what you would define and see is the answer to your biggest need, your biggest cry for help? Because if you are, you're just focusing on the temporary fruit. Will your life be better once your marriage gets fixed? Or is Christ enough for you right now? Will your life be better once your, your financial issues get fixed? Or is Christ enough right now? Are you pursuing Dave Ramsey more than you're pursuing Christ? Christ doesn't guarantee a better marriage. Christ doesn't guarantee all your financial problems will get fixed. He does guarantee that he's more than enough and he's worth everything and that the things in your life that you're so focused on are not more important than pursuing the kingdom of God because Jesus himself said to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness from the root. Are you hearing me today? From the root. And then you begin to produce the fruits of the Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of you, producing fruit that brings God glory to where you begin to interact with people differently, where you begin to take that marriage advice differently. You begin to take that financial advice differently because you're not just looking at now, but you're looking through the lens of eternity and your whole perspective changes. It's not about what's in it for me anymore because Christ has changed my heart from being focused on sin and self to being focused on Him and eternity. That's the difference that Christ makes in us. That's the transforming power. That's the power of the gospel that the form just denies. That the form just says, let's just focus on this, everybody. That's why the world has a copycat of everything that, that, that is Christ-centered. Anything that would try to draw us away from Christ is the solution. Because the world says, yeah, we've got good counseling without Christ. We've got good self-help without Christ. You don't need Christ. Well, and you know what? They're right if all you're focused on is the fruit. Because Christ doesn't just deal with the exterior. He's trying to get to bam, 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 your hearts. 
and show you your wickedness and your sinfulness and your need so you can turn to him and repent and he can forgive you and love you and show you his grace, not so he can shame you because it's the kindness of the Lord that brings you to repentance. It's the kindness of the Lord that draws you. It's not him wagging his finger. It's his love drawing you to himself that's, that's pleading and begging with you to repent of your sin and cry out to him as the source of hope, as the source of salvation. Last week, I preached a message that um, I think um, if you were not a Christ follower, it would be very difficult for you to listen to and not be challenged at a very deep level. Um, and some people were. And I asked people at the end of the service to just let somebody know that they saw their need for Christ. And I had two people reach out to me last week and they told me they said pastor they almost both had the same story both of them said pastor i've been in church most of my life and i didn't realize i had put my hope and my faith in all these other things and not in grace alone and i received christ for the first time today people who were willing to put their pride to the side to say i've been putting my hope in the wrong things and they were repenting over putting their hope in the fact that they checked all the boxes. I showed up on Sunday. I prayed on Monday. I fasted on Tuesday. Yes, Lord. I read my Bible on Wednesday. Thursday, I did something nice for my neighbor. Friday, I ate fish. And Saturday, I took the day off as Sabbath. And then Sunday, I came to church, and I checked all the boxes. I did all the right things. And they were putting their hope in the fact that they had done all the right things. They put their hope in the fact that they, they had checked all the boxes. They'd been to the services. They'd taken the communion. They'd had the baptism. They had all the blah, 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 blah. But they didn't know Christ because they hadn't been changed. They hadn't been changed. That's the difference. Because you cannot, listen to me, you cannot genuinely encounter the saving power of Christ and walk away the same. You cannot. Not if you have encountered the genuine power of Christ. Otherwise, it's a form of godliness that has denied the power because it puts all of everything on you. The power of Christ is that he put it all on himself for you because you couldn't save yourself and you still can't save yourself. He did it for you, amen, because of his great love. And what's the evidence of that? I'm focused on eternity. I got fruit of the Spirit. I'm not perfect. I still struggle with sin. I still may be tempted. I still may fall. But Christ in me is enough. And I'm learning how to walk in that freedom that he's bought and paid for me on the cross. I'm learning how to do this day by day as I'm growing in Christ-likeness. As I'm growing in learning more of what he paid for. What I don't have to be a slave to anymore. That I'm free in Christ. And so therefore... Will my life instantly get better? Probably not. Because Jesus said, there's going to be people that hate you because of me. Christ is a stumbling block of offense. This is a hard message to preach. It's easier to just preach, get happier and better and all that other stuff. It's harder to preach Christ alone. Because we go, yeah, but what about all this? It's like, yeah, but Christ alone. He's more than enough. And if we don't focus on Christ, we're missing the point. 
So what are we asking for help from? Because peace doesn't come when the storm settles down. Peace comes when you know Christ is enough. That's when peace comes. We, we want to go, oh, I want all the storms to go away. Jesus didn't promise the storms would go away, but he promised you he would walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death and you wouldn't be afraid because he was with you. That's what he did promise. He did promise that he would give you a peace that would pass beyond your understanding, that would guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. He is the type of Christ that he is so much enough that Paul and Barnabas, that as they were shackled in prison, could somehow find it somewhere within them to praise and sing and glorify God in the middle of prison. That's the value they saw in Christ. Do we see that kind of value in Christ? Or do when things get bad, we reach for the spray again? And then when things are going our way, then we just put it away. What are we doing have we encountered Jesus? Is he enough? If he isn't enough and you think it's Jesus plus other things, you think it's Jesus plus uh, that house you want, it's Jesus plus that position in the company you want, if you think it's Jesus plus this marriage, if you think it's Jesus plus all these kids, if you think it's Jesus plus uh, all this retirement goals that you have, that's going to make you happy. And if Christ is not enough, my friend, I must ask you, have you encountered Christ? Because if you've really encountered Christ, he becomes so much enough that there's nothing else more valuable. There's nothing else more valuable because all of that stuff could be gone in an instant. And I've traveled to third world countries and I've seen extreme poverty that doesn't match anything we would call poverty here in our area. And as I've seen extreme poverty, you know what? Their answer wasn't my house. <laughs> Their answer wasn't my car. I have nicer cars and nicer house than they have. They'll, they'll probably never own a car in their life in some of the places that I've been to. So the answer is not the car. The answer is not the house. And yet I see on their faces a joy and a contentment in the middle of having nothing compared to what we have. How is that possible? Because Christ has become enough. Christ has become enough. That's how people can live in persecuted China with their, with their family being threatened to, to be arrested and maybe even put in prison or in some cases put to death in certain countries just for owning a page of the Bible and we just casually go buy one based on how cool the cover is. And those people in that situation can be happy and content well, well, you know, if they just had enough faith, then maybe their situation would get better, right? Hello, somebody. Who has the faith? The person who can withstand the persecution? The person who can still, in the middle of poverty, still say, yes, Jesus, you are enough? Not the person who has the happy marriage, who has the, the, the fat bank account. Yeah, you can learn how to do all those things, and that's great. And maybe you do need some help in those areas, but are you looking at it through the lens of eternity and through Christ being enough? Or are you looking at that as your hope? Because if you're looking at those things going well in your life as hope, as your security, it's a security blanket and it's not going to protect you. It's not going to save you because you're making an idol out of something. You're putting it above Christ because Christ alone is enough. Everything else follows. That's how we can go through difficult times. We can be married in difficult seasons and still persevere because Christ is enough, not because everything goes my way. That's how we can make it through financial difficulty. 
Because Christ is enough. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging for bread is what scripture says, which means he's going to take care of you. It means if you're still here and you're still sucking air, he's still got a purpose for you. Amen, somebody? So have you encountered him? Are you different since you publicly declared your faith in Christ? Have you publicly declared your faith in Christ? Have you taken steps to grow in knowing God more? Have you been brought to a place where you're sensitive to sin? Or are you still in a place where you're defending it? Or are you still in a place where you're comparing yourself to other people saying, well, at least I'm not as bad as these people because I don't do these things? Or are you sensitive to your sin? You're sensitive to the fact that you have offended God by your sin, by trying to justify it. And he's saying, no, I, I, wanna, I want you to come close. I want you to hate the things I hate, love the things I love. God, I thank you for this time we've had together. And I pray that every person under the sound of my voice, that Holy Spirit, you do the work that only you can do. Holy Spirit of God, penetrate the hardest of hearts, open the blind eyes, let the scales fall off of people's eyes who have put, in their, who have put their hope in the wrong things. If we have not trusted in Christ alone, Lord, help us to trust in you and you alone. If we have been clinging to false security blankets in our own pride and we have been self-deceived, God, I pray you will wreck us today that we will see the sinfulness of our own ability trying to save ourselves through good deeds, through right living, or through making gods out of all of these other things that we put above you as more important. Lord, nothing is more important. Nothing is greater. No one is better. It is Christ alone. You are preeminent. Jesus, we thank you for saving us. We thank you. We, we boldly declare that you are our Savior, our Lord, and I pray that people come to the saving knowledge of Christ today, that they would repent of their sin, that they would turn and confess you as Lord and Savior, and that they would be changed for their eternity, and that you would begin to manifest the fruit of your Spirit in them from this day forward as they grow in Christ-likeness and godliness, showing the fruit of that new creation in Christ. Help us as a church family to encourage one another to grow in that. And if we have drifted away from Christ alone, let us return to the foundation of Christ alone as followers of Christ. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand this morning?